Chapter 60 of The Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ten or eleven o'clock found us coming down to breakfast one morning in Cadiz. They told us the ship had been lying at anchor in the harbor two or three hours. It was time for us to bestir ourselves. The ship could only wait a little while because of the quarantine. We were soon on board, and within the hour the white city and the pleasant shores of Spain sank down behind the waves and passed out of sight. We had seen no land fade from view so regretfully. It had long ago been decided in a noisy public meeting in the main cabin that we could not go to Lisbon, because we must surely be quarantined there. We did everything by mass meeting, in the good old national way, from swapping off one empire for another on the program of the voyage, down to complaining of the cookery and the scarcity of napkins. I am reminded now of one of these complaints of the cookery made by a passenger. The coffee had been steadily growing more and more execrable for the space of three weeks till at last it had ceased to be coffee altogether and had assumed the nature of mere discolored water so this person said he said it was so weak that it was transparent an inch in depth around the edge of the cup as he approached the table one morning he saw the transparent edge by means of his extraordinary vision long before he got to his seat he went back and complained in a high-handed way to Captain Duncan, said the coffee was disgraceful. The captain showed his. It seemed tolerably good. The incipient mutineer was more outraged than ever, then, at what he denounced as the partiality shown the captain's table over the other tables in the ship. He flourished back, got his cup, and set it down triumphantly, and said, just try that mixture once, Captain Duncan. He smelt it, tasted it, and smiled benignly, then said, It is inferior for coffee, but it is pretty fair tea. The humbled mutineer smelt it, tasted it, and returned to his seat. He had made an ass of himself before the whole ship. He did it no more. After that he took things as they came. That was me. The old-fashioned ship life had returned, now that we were no longer in sight of land. For days and days it continued just the same, one day being exactly like another, and to me every one of them pleasant. At last we anchored in the open roadstead of Funchal, in the beautiful islands we call the Madeiras. The mountains looked surprisingly lovely, clad as they were in living green, ribbed with lava ridges, flecked with white cottages, riven by deep chasms, purple with shade, the great slopes dashed with sunshine and mottled with shadows flung from the drifting squadrons of the sky, and the superb picture, fitly crowned by towering peaks whose fronts were swept by the trailing fringes 
of the clouds. But we could not land. We stayed all day and looked. We abused the man who invented quarantine. We held half a dozen mass meetings and crammed them full of interrupted speeches, motions that fell stillborn, amendments that came to naught, and resolutions that died from sheer exhaustion and trying to get before the house. At night we set sail. We averaged four mass meetings a week for the voyage. We seemed always in labor in this way. And yet so often fallaciously that whenever at long intervals we were safely delivered of a resolution, it was a cause for public rejoicing, and we hoisted the flag and fired a salute. Days passed, and nights, and then the beautiful Bermudas rose up out of the sea. We entered the tortuous channel, steamed hither and thither among the bright summer islands, and rested at last under the flag of England, and were welcome. We were not a nightmare here, where were civilization and intelligence in place of Spanish and Italian superstition, dirt and dread of cholera. A few days among the breezy groves, the flower gardens, the coral caves, and the lovely vistas of blue water that went curving in and out, disappearing and anon again, appearing through jungle walls of brilliant foliage, restored the energies dulled by long drowsing on the ocean, and fitted us for our final cruise, our little run out of a thousand miles to New York. America, home. We bade good-bye to our friends, the Bermudians, as our program hath it. The majority of those we were most intimate with were Negroes, and courted the great deep again. I said the majority. We knew more Negroes than white people, because we had a deal of washing to be done. But we made some most excellent friends among the whites, whom it will be a pleasant duty to hold long and grateful remembrance. We sailed, and from that hour all idling ceased. Such another system of overhauling, general littering of cabins, and packing of trunks we had not seen since we let go the anchor in the harbor of Beirut. Everybody was busy. Lists of all purchases had to be made out, and values attached to facilitate matters at the Custom House. Purchases bought by bulk in partnership had to be equitably divided, outstanding debts canceled, accounts compared, and trunks, boxes, and packages labeled. All day long the bustle and confusion continued. And now came our first accident. A passenger was running through a gangway between decks one stormy night when he caught his foot in the iron staple of a door that had been heedlessly left off a hatchway, and the bones of his leg broke at the ankle. It was our first serious misfortune. We had traveled much more than 20,000 miles by land and sea in many trying climates without a single hurt without a serious case of sickness, 
and without a death among five and sixty passengers. Our good fortune had been wonderful. A sailor had jumped overboard at Constantinople one night and was seen no more, but it was suspected that his object was to desert, and there was a slim chance at least that he reached the shore. But the passenger list was complete. There was no name missing from the register. At last, one pleasant morning, we steamed up the harbor of New York, all on deck, all dressed in Christian garb, by special order, for there was a latent disposition in some quarters to come out as Turks, and amid a waving of handkerchiefs from welcoming friends, the glad pilgrims noted the shiver of the decks that told that the ship and pier had joined hands again and the long, strange cruise was over. Amen. End of chapter 60 Recording by B. Scott Holmes B. Scott Holmes dot com